In this episode of Info Product Mastery, we chat with Greg Park, psychology PhD turned to developer who is now trying to build info products. This is a really cool episode. It's a, it's a bit of a hybrid where Greg comes on the show and talks one-on-one with me about the issues he's having with his business. And I think it's all super relatable to what you may be going through as you're building your own eBooks and online courses. So let me know what you think about the format of this episode. It's new. I think it's a lot of fun. This is Info Product Mastery, episode 22. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers make life-changing money building and selling online courses. I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. Today, we're going to mix things up a little bit. We're going to try a different format for the show. In all of our previously recorded shows, it was either me talking about a specific topic, or I had a guest on the show to share their story, as well as some actionable techniques that you can use to help you build your own info product business. But I had this idea to mix things up. Greg Park emailed in. He's a psychology PhD turned to a developer who is currently working on TraitLab.com. And he's building this set of scientific personality assessment tools. And it's, it's the set of questions that users answer and a personality report is generated. It's this hybrid combination of software meets info product. It's, it's not really software, but it's not necessarily a pure info product either. Greg has, has built this tool and he uses it to deliver the questions but what the end user actually receives as their end product, it's really more akin to an info product. You know, there's, there's this subtlety, this hybridness to the two. So Greg emailed in and he asked me if I did coaching or consulting. And, and the short answer is no, I, I don't do any coaching right now. In fact, I had a small coaching business soon after Pyramid Search was acquired, but I shut it down so I could focus on the podcast because I believe in helping as many people as I can. And, and unfortunately, coaching just doesn't allow that due to the one-on-one nature. But I had this idea. What if Greg could come on the show, we did a screen share, and we talked about his products and his questions. That way, he got the answers and help he needed, and I was able to share this recording with you, and therefore, for the greater good, be able to help as many people as possible. So this episode format is, by definition, experimental. It's the first time I've done something like this. So it's not going to be as polished as previous episodes. So I apologize for that. But I think I think the unpolished nature is actually going to be good because we're going to learn a lot more. We're going to see some actionable real-world advice. You're going to get some live feedback here with Greg, and hopefully you can take that and apply that to your own products. I'd also appreciate any feedback you have on this format. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you want more of these types of episodes? Well, just let me know. Send me an email or use the contact form on infoproductmastery.com. So with that all said, welcome to the show, Greg. Tell us a bit about yourself. How did you go from psychology PhD to developer to now running Trait Lab? Oh, cool. uh, thank you so much. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, so I was on the academic track, getting the psychology PhD. And then I was in a postdoc for several years, which was really focused on psychometrics, which is like the academic way of saying measuring psychological things. And that was going well. But when it got time for me to go on the job market, and I actually started getting my first few job offers. It really hit me that like, this is really going to be hard to figure out how to combine like how tight the job market is, where the jobs are, my family, you know, my wife's career, all of these things together. It's like, this is not going to work. I need something that gives me a little more freedom and flexibility. And it was a really technical field of psychology. So it wasn't that big of a leap for me to go into software development. And as soon as I did that, it was like, wow, this is so much 
in terms of like being able to move around. That was so much easier. So that was good. But I still had that passion for what I was doing. I mean, I really, really enjoyed the research that I was doing. I loved learning about that. And so I didn't want to let that go. And so in the background, this whole time, been a software developer for five years, I've been working on things in this area. And it was about a year or two ago that I started getting more serious about trying to think, how can I turn this into a paid product? Mm -hmm. And I think I I finally pulled it all together about a year ago, October-ish, 2021. And that's about when I started offering something paid and made my first sale. So cool. I love hearing stories like this because I think software developers, you know, as a, it's, we've come a long way, but some of them could be a bit conceited in the sense of like, yeah, we write code, we, we run the world sort of thing. But in reality, some of the best computer scientists I know and developers I know, they didn't go to college for it. They weren't classically trained in it. They just learned it on their own. And I think that is so important because you come up with this idea in your head out and you're like, I want to build this. I want to make this a reality. And it's that drive that pushes you to be successful. It is not the classical training in school. Yes, that can help, but that's not the primary motivator. And that's not the reason you're going to be successful. Just because you went to MIT or Stanford and got like a master's in computer science doesn't mean you're going to be a successful developer. Far from it. I mean, I know physicists who are far better machine learning engineers than any like standard computer computer science researcher, like myself included, because they're just better with the numbers and they understand the logic flow. They're just good at it. And with in your case, you know, you came from a psychology background. You have a lot of expertise in that. And some of that definitely transfers over to the software development world. So I think that's I think that's a great story. And for anyone listening to this podcast who they maybe aren't in the tech field and they want to be, you can do it. Like without a doubt, you could do it. So tell us like what exactly is TradeLab.com? What is this product? I like the way you described it as like a hybrid software slash info product. That's how I think about it too. You can think of it like an info product that's focused on personality, strengths, and interests, and how all of those things connect to real life outcomes. Things like your career interests, or the way you interact with people, or your mood. So in in that way, it's like a, a general course where you can learn about all of these different aspects of psychology and personality. But in front of that is this very detailed assessment. So that when you take that assessment, it allows me to estimate all sorts of dimensions of your personality so that when you get that information product, it's really customized to you specifically, to your specific strengths, your uh, interest profile, your personality traits, really highly tailored to you. That makes a lot of sense. What would the, the benefits be for a user going through your product? Are they, you know people in the professional world who want to get a better understanding of what their strengths and weaknesses are so that then they could apply to a job that matches their their profile? Are they, you know, stay-at-home, stay-at-home moms or maybe single moms trying to like understand their personality better so that they can find a spouse later on down down the road? Like what what is the, I guess, profile of the user who comes to you and says, I really need to understand this about myself? Such a good question. And this is what I'm trying really hard to understand. Okay. I, I had some I had some hypotheses about this going into it, and none of them have really like borne out. What I'm seeing so far is a big mix. Mostly um, I'm seeing mid-career. Think of 30s, 40s are typically 
my customers and pretty evenly split uh, men and women. Most people are employed. And from the people that I've been able to actually talk to, customers, whether that's through like feedback forms or just getting on a phone call with them, there's no strong pattern other than people are just really interested. I've had this theory that there's like a specific job they're trying to get done by learning this. And that, I haven't really seen that yet. Instead, I've seen people say, I just love this stuff. I love learning about it. This is really interesting to me. And I said, what are you trying to do with it? Nothing. I just, I love it. Almost like the way somebody would, you know, really get into a book, Mm -hmm. I think, without really trying to solve a big problem with it. So I think a lot of it is out of interest so far. Okay. So it's more of like a, a curiosity thing, almost. It's true. Although I will say, I have had some, just a few customers, because I'm trying to push it in this direction, who are trying to solve something specific. So for that interest-driven category, those are sort of individual customers. However, there are some customers who are like coming from within a business who do have any they're trying to solve. So for example, a career coach who uses this with their client. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives them a really nice jumping off point to start their engagement. I see. Um, so that's one use I've seen. And then also for coworkers in a, on the same team, I've seen one case where the entire team has taken it and used it as sort of a way to you know, get to know each other. Okay. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like there's not one distinct bucket or you know, golden type of user that you have for your product. And I think that's, that's true for most products. When I was running PyMage Search, like, the most obvious category is developers, like people who want to learn computer vision. Maybe they're building a computer vision related product at their job. Maybe they're hoping to finish this project and, and get a raise. So you just think developers, but that's such a broad generic term. It doesn't really help you craft your marketing message too much. So you dive in a little bit and you're like, oh, wait, some of these people are actually students. They're trying to finish a class or a lot of them are finishing like their final year graduation project. And so they need help in order for them to graduate. So that's, that's a different motivation than a developer inside of, inside of their job. But then you dive a little further and you get another sub-niche. These are your researchers, the people who have high-level education, who are doing publications. They can think theoretically, but they don't necessarily have that, the hands-on coding nature. They're probably not as good as coders as your standard day-to-day developers. They need the more tactical, hands-on nature so they can take these wonderful ideas they have in their head code it, run these experiments, and, and publish their work. And in your case, it sounds like you just have a broad range of users. Like you, you almost have this like B2C, business-to-consumer component of these curiosity-driven customers. You're like, I just want to understand myself better. So that how you market to them is going to be very different than how you market to like a more business-to-business, like a B2B coach, like a, a high-performer coach who... Each time they take on a client, they want to understand their strengths and weaknesses and, and give them a personality assessment. So I think, I think that's really encouraging to see because that shows that there's different ways that you can, you can market. And I'm wondering if you're doing any surveying. Actually, before we talk about surveying, I want to ask a question. How are you building your email list? Because when I went to your, your website, I didn't see like an email opt-in on the homepage. I saw you like you have like a login and a, and a registration form. But how are people joining your email list? Or, or do you even have an email list right now? Yeah, there's a free version of Trait Labs. So anyone can sign up. And when you sign up, 
that is how you get added to the email list. And the free version gives you access to take the full assessment and you get quite a bit of results. So maybe about 20% of the full product. And that's how I build the email list is through the free product. Okay. So how are, how are people coming to find the free product? Are you running ads using Google search? Is it some sort of like, you know, maybe it's an influencer who came across your product and they're tweeting or posting about it? It's mostly through organic traffic. Okay. I, have about, I have a blog on the site and there's over 100 articles. So there's a lot of searching for personality-related okay. topics. That's where most of it comes from. Okay, so it's like long-tail keyword on Google sort of stuff. Yes, and occasionally yeah. it gets shared on social platforms and I get a big mm-hmm. surge, but most of those people come for the free account and they don't actually. Right, so the, the, the big social media stuff, like that's few and far between, but for your, like your daily traffic, it's really search engine optimization, Google traffic, that sort of stuff. Yes. Yeah, and that's going to be true, I think, for a large range of information products, just because the definition of, of how they work, it's like this almost reciprocity, this reciprocal nature of that the creator has to share a certain amount of free content first, then you know you get indexed in Google, you develop a reputation both among people who are reading your blog, but with Google as well, because they, they value your site, they see people are sticking around your site for longer, that increases your time on site, increases your, your page ranking. I think that's I think that's totally normal, and I like SEO in the sense that it, it's free, it's quality because you it guarantees people are interested because they took the time to go to Google and type in those keywords, so you know they're interested to a certain degree. There's a bit of vetting going on there already, and again with info products, it's really hard to run ads <laughs> to make it work because a lot of info products like they could be ten dollars, they could be you know hundred dollars, even a thousand dollars, depending on what your product is and, and your customer like. It's hard to make ads work without monthly without monthly recurring revenue. So it's good to see that SEO aspect is is working for you. And I'd encourage anyone listening to this, like they're thinking of developing an info product or doing an info product, like go the SEO route. But going back a little bit, you know, I think I think it's perfectly fine to offer this kind of like free plan or or trial plan or like some people call like a, a freemium plan where like they they get a certain subset of features and and then they can upgrade. I'm curious, like, have you ever done any testing where you just like flat out removed the the free plan altogether? No. And this is what I'm most curious about right now. Yeah, because like my sense is that most of the people who come for the free plan, there's, I do get quite a bit of signups for it, but a lot of those people don't ultimately become customers. And what I can't really understand is, is there something that's really valuable in the free plan that they're here for? Or are these people never really going to be interested in the first place. And I think it's really hard for me to tell that right now. This free plan has always been there and then I slowly added the paid component to it. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea what it would really be like without it. Yeah, I mean, when I, was, when I was on your site, like I knew it was a paid product because you told me over email. But when I looked at your site, I had no idea that it was, it was a paid product. Like there wasn't... The pricing link was all the way at the bottom of the footer. The only links you had in the header was login and register, you know? So to me, and then when I click register, like I could enter in all my details and and create an account. So to me, like as the user coming to the site, I have no idea that this is a paid product. And then obviously like you log in and you register and then like you notice some, you don't get access to all all the features, which I think if this was marketed to a developer, they would call this a bait and switch because they'd feel like, Oh, I didn't know this was a paid product. What do you mean I don't have access to to all this information, all the features? Like I signed up for it. Like 
the, the pricing link was all the way at the bottom of the page. I imagine you probably don't get a lot of that feedback because of your, your current niche. From a psychological perspective, put that pricing link at the top. That way people know like, oh, there is more to this product. I could sign up for free and I'll get like that a certain subset of features. But if I want everything, then I have to pay for it. And that's something that you see in info products and SaaS apps. It's, it's called price anchoring. Like you'll, you'll have like two to three tiers, sometimes more. But the point is like you want to have a, a tier that is either free or relatively inexpensive that only gives you a tiny subset of the features. And then on the, the high end, like a third tier, you want this very extremely expensive tier that gives you everything. Maybe it's like a one-on-one like coaching call or, or something like a bunch of bonuses, like really jack the price up on that third tier. And then the middle tier, that's like your happy middle ground. It's affordable for most people. So when they come and look at that page, they're like, well, I can sign up for free or for like a couple bucks, but I only get a tiny subset. And on the far end, like there's this like out of my reach expensive thing that probably has too much, all these things I don't need. But in reality, what I want is this middle tier. And I'm wondering if that could help you. Like when people come to your site and they click register, it takes them to the pricing page so that they see all three tiers and they know this is a product. This isn't just a free tool. Yeah, that's a great point. And I was very specific about, like that, that was very intentional to put that pricing somewhere else. And it's funny to hear it as, Phrases of bait and switch because I hadn't thought about it like that. But now that you say that, I can see how that would be surprising. Like the reason I did it was to try to limit the amount of stuff that was going on on the homepage. Right. Because that's how it was originally. I just had links to all of this different stuff. And so as I tried to narrow down like what the purpose of each page was, I was been trying to give each page its one job. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I, I thought was, look, I don't want to confuse them with all these details. If they want to pay later, they can. But I think somebody who's visiting here, they just want to know, how do I get started? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, like, let's move all that stuff later. If they want to do that later, they can. And I think the side effect of that is you have a lot of people sign up who really don't you know, have much intention to, to go beyond the free thing. And, and that is causing an issue for me now. So I can see now maybe it's worth it to add a little bit more, make it really obvious both on the homepage and then also on the registration page of like what is yeah. in the free versus the paid. Right. And I wonder, like you were saying, like there's people who who come and use your service and their reason for using it is just that they're they're genuinely curious. They want to understand this stuff better. It's almost like a hobby for them. And I wonder if you like either got rid of that free plan where you tested getting rid of it or you made it very clear that this was a paid product. I wonder if that would reduce the noise and reduce, maybe reduce the number of free signups, but your paid signups, maybe you would be able to distinguish like what these people really want and what it is that they're, they're after. Cause that is the, the danger of running a free plan is you get too many people in the door that don't actually care about your product. They're just there because it's free and they're just kind of, kind of curious. Then you've got to support these free people. And then if it's a complicated app, then like you're paying for hosting and all of that other stuff. But for you, that's, that's not really, not really the issue. But you have these people using your app that they likely don't have an intention to pay you. And maybe even some of them do. They just don't realize the, the pricing component. And I, I love what you said about every page has a purpose because that's exactly right. You want 
the goal to be clear on every page on your site, whether that's getting someone's email address, getting them to register, getting them to click add to cart. But the most valuable thing you can get for a cold traffic person who just landed on your site, either from Google or an ad, is to get them on your on your email list. So on your homepage, I'm just thinking like, what if you had like something in the in the bottom right corner that that slid up and said like, gave you a headline like, eight reasons why you need to take a personality test or eight reasons how personality tests can can help you. And then get people to enter their email address. And then you like send them like a resource guide PDF or what I really like is these like seven to 10 day free email crash courses where you educate them on a topic over email. And like email three probably has like a, a soft pitch on it in the PS being like, oh, hey, everything you've learned thus far, like this product that I created does it all for you. And like you take this test and you get your results. So it's like a very soft pitch. But then email 10, it's like, boom, congrats. Like you finished the email crash course. Now it is time for the next steps. You need to take action now. And like you drive, drive that home. And I wonder if you, if you did that while we're moving the free plan or at least like trimming the fat on the free plan, if that would increase your paid, your paid conversions. I I love that idea. I feel like the idea of a, like a course, the experience that they would have of that feels more aligned with the experience of the paid product. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like if, if that is really interesting to you, I would like to do a 10 day, like, text course. Mm-hmm. You're probably closer to the kind of person that would really get a lot of value out of the paid product. Right. So I like that a lot. Very interesting. Yeah. There's, there's another cool thing you can do here that I, that I really like is, once someone enters in their email address to like either get that email crash course or that resource guide PDF, it automatically redirects them to like a, a effectively like a thank you page that tells them, "Hey, like thanks for entering in your email address. You know, I'm about to send you lesson one in like five minutes. It'll land in your inbox. But to like get to know you a little bit better, I like to ask you like a couple questions, and then it's just like a, a survey. It's like a like a JavaScript embed." You know, you could use like free tools like Typeform and I'm thinking of other ones like Cognito Forms, like and then you could like hack together like some API connection so like they can they can select, well, I am just a hobbyist interest in this topic. Or I'm a professional coach, or you know, I'm a I work for the recruiting department for a large company. So then they select one of those options, boom, then that information syncs over to your email list provider, whether it's Drip or AWeb or MailChimp, whatever, it just saves it as a custom property. And then then all of a sudden, like you're starting to understand your your subscribers better. And there's tools that that do this. My my favorite is writemessage.com. It's pretty expensive if you're like just brand new and starting out, but it it allows you to create these like beautiful little surveys and these call to action forms where people enter in their email address and then they get asked a bunch of questions after. And psychologically, that makes sense because they just raised their hand and took action on something. And now you're going to provide them more value on something they just took action on just by providing a little bit more information. You just be surprised like how many people provide that. Like I have seen reports where people like 60, 70, 80% of subscribers who come in through that opt-in, like click those survey buttons. So now you have some good segmentation data sitting in, in your email list. And this is where things get really exciting. Let's just take the examples of hobbyist, just someone who's curious about about these studies, or professional coach who's bringing on clients, and someone who works on HR as like a professional recruiter. If you know each of those things, 
Well, that means during your email crash course, you can customize everything to that person. So you could use these liquid if-else you know, statements inside the email and be like, well, if you're a hobbyist, here's a piece of copy on why, why this product is really good for you. Or if you're a professional coach, you could say, help your clients get more value out of the services you provide. Make more money. Boom. Like that goes into the email. Or if they're HR, it's like hire the right people faster, save your company money. So then like you start speaking directly to these people. And that that personalization absolutely helps increase conversion rates. Yeah, that sounds like exactly what I need to be doing. Because right now I'm not learning about what the purpose is, what they're trying to do until it's far too late. There's no segmentation. I'm not tailoring any of the follow-up emails to <laughs> what they're doing right now. Yeah, this this all sounds like very doable. Yeah, I like this idea. I was always kind of curious, like, have you thought about any type of like engineering integrations? Like, is there a way to to integrate with LinkedIn, for example? So if someone comes to your site, signs up for either a free or paid plan, they take take these questions, they get their report back. Is there a way for them to like embed their report on their LinkedIn profile? Is it a way for them to share on their LinkedIn profile? Is there a way for you to connect that data with people who are in search of in search of jobs, for example? That way, like you get a nice SEO boost because boom, you just got a link back from LinkedIn that someone embeds it on their profile. And if they share it to their network, then you know you there's there's sort of like this viral loop in effect where hopefully more people come, take the test and and share it back out as well. Yeah, I haven't done anything like specific to a service like LinkedIn, but I have tried the one aspect of the free plan. This is this is one reason I do keep I think the free aspect is valuable is even with the free plan you do get a public profile that you can share if you want. And this the other way that people learn about this is people will take the free plan, they share it, they tweet it, it shows a snippet of their results and and you know that brings in more people. So I have a very simple version of that, which is just share the public profile, mm-hmm. but nothing that really integrates with you know a service. Yeah, I wonder if you with with a public profile, if you limited certain things from being displayed. I'm just going to use like a, a trivial example of like whether someone's type A or type B, like right. So like that's it's a stupid example, but let's just roll with it. Let's say if you're on the free plan, that doesn't get displayed on your profile, but if you're on the paid plan does. Okay, well, the standard developer mindset would be just like, okay, write an if-else statement, and if they're not on the paid plan, like remove the type A or type B. But the marketer perspective says, no, no, no. Include type A and type B on the web page, but use a bit of JavaScript to blur that out, like to blur it so the user can't see it at all. And underneath there, there would be a link that says, to see the full profile, create a paid account because that that shows that you're gating there's a paid gate there there's a psychological like block there they're like oh you want all the information you got to sign up for for a paid account and i think for someone sharing their their public profile that could be an incentive for them to upgrade so that they get everything detailed and shareable versus just a tiny a tiny subset it could also be worth running a test to see whether or not the public profile is super important to the user. If it is, well, maybe that that means that you go into the paid, the paid plan because they'll be more likely to upgrade. Of course, the downside is that if a lot of free people are sharing their 
their public profiles. Well, that's just free marketing and free free sharing for you. So there definitely is a balance there that, that would have to be tested. But those are the types of ideas I like to ask myself when I'm when I'm doing marketing is like, what is the end goal? What are they trying to achieve? How can I give them just enough free information to be successful and feel like they're coming away with something, but without, you know, giving away the farm? Yeah. I, I like that. I've I've had a similar approach with the with the public profile where only a portion of it is being shown. But I definitely am taking that more of a developer mindset and just like not showing it instead right. of really, you know, alluding to what they're missing out on, which is probably really helpful. Yeah. And 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 I think I still have some experimentation to do around there's still more things that could be removed or added or, you know, toggled with a little bit more. I feel like there's probably a sweet spot there between having something that's shareable and still holding some of the information and keeping it into the into the paid plan. And I haven't really found that yet. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's it's a fine balance and it's it it has to be tested. I mean, I think you can go with like gut instinct to, to start. But at the end of the day, like definitely run some split tests on it and try and figure that out if all possible. The other thing I had a question on, and I think I think I already know the answer to this based off the the conversation we've had thus far, is that your your headlines like they don't on the homepage specifically they they don't feel like user journey focused, and I I think that's because you don't necessarily know who like the the target audience is like that goes back to what we were talking about like are they this kind of just hobby person who just does the these surveys for fun or are they like a professional and i think if you kind of tweak those those headlines especially if you did that that segmentation and that personalization you could tweak those headlines to be specific to that person and their role in their job i think that would also lift your conversion rates as well yeah that is that is something that I just, one of those things that I found so much harder than I expected was yeah. writing good headline, writing good landing page copy is, wow, really tough. And so where I am now is not good. And it took me a long time to get there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Copywriting is, is tough, man. It is, it is brutal. I actually have an episode coming out. Let me check the episode list real quick. Yeah, episode... Episode 15 will be three resources I use to successfully learn copywriting as a programmer and developer. And I have a feeling this is going to be like one of the most popular episodes that I've, I've released thus far. I think people are going to get, get a ton of value out of it. Copywriting is hard. You know, it, developers like they just open up this like HTML file and they're like, okay, time to, time to put some text in. And, and like that's what I did too. But and we all start somewhere. We all start somewhere. But learning how to write copy literally the most valuable skill I have ever learned. Like it's, it's helped me write tough emails. It's helped me have really hard conversations. Uh, it's, it's just a valuable skill in the same way that coding is a valuable skill. Yeah, that's I, I'm really looking forward to that. Finding good resources on, on copywriting has mm-hmm. been like one of the things I've really been putting energy into lately. One thing that was also really useful to me was doing some real user experiments. So there are some sites where you can do like a five second test, put your landing page together and then show it to like hundreds of people. The sites will do this for you. And then those each of those people will tell you what they think your site is about. Mm-hmm. And I think when I originally did this, less than 10% of people thought that the site was about personality because oh, the imagery okay. and, the, and the H1 and everything, I thought it all sounded good. 
but turns out like that is not what people were seeing. So I had to do a lot of iteration. And I got it up to where it was like 60% of the people, you know, within five seconds could see that it was about personality. And so I feel like I've got like the content down there now. So mm-hmm. it's like in the right direction, but definitely doesn't have like any of that emotion to it. It's missing a lot. So I, I feel like, yeah, that's, that's something I really want to get better at. I think another cool idea would be to sign up for a service like Crazy Egg or, or Hotjar. And basically these services, they, they use a little bit of JavaScript to help record a session of someone using your site. So if someone comes to your site and like they're tra- this, this piece of JavaScript like tracks their mouse movements, where they're clicking, that type of stuff. So I wonder if you installed that on, on the homepage you could see where they're scrolling. You could see where they're stopping in their scrolling process. You could see what links they're clicking on, or more importantly, what they're not clicking on, what they should be clicking on. And you could see like from these sessions, like it takes a while to go through because you're, you're manually watching them. But the value you get from it in the early days is tremendous. You don't want to be doing this at scale. It's, it's really hard to do it at scale because you can't spend all your day in front of the computer watching someone use your site. But in the early days, when you're initially developing a homepage or a sales page or a checkout page, invaluable to be able to watch what they're doing. And I'm curious, like, if you did that, like, what inspiration that would give you to help optimize your homepage further? Yeah, that's that's a great call. These are tools that I have been aware of, but I've just been like kicking that can because I thought, oh, that's too complicated for me to get into right now. I need to just kind of get all the pipes connected, but. Yeah, now I'm at the point where I'm trying to turn these things up a little bit. And yeah. I have all of this information on these different landing pages. And I have no idea if any of it's like which parts are actually being viewed. So right. yeah, probably time to look into something like that. Yeah, I, I again, I think your 80-20 is optimizing the homepage to help get email opt-ins, like for a crash course or a resource guide, whatever that is. And putting that, that pricing link in the header and then you know, messing around with the pricing page a little bit, creating maybe a, a third super expensive tier, do a bit of price anchoring and just trying to figure out like who your target audience is through that through that segmentation. If you did those three things, I think you'll find out a lot more information. Like, is it is it going to solve everything? No, absolutely not. Because that's just not how business works. There's always going to be things you could be doing better that you could be tweaking. But each little piece of information you get along the way makes it more likely that that you're going to be successful. That you'll be either either able to make a decision to improve something, let it go, or iterate upon it. And also put email opt-ins and all those all those blog posts that you have. Now you're getting a ton of ton of organic traffic people from people coming from Google. So those people may just be there for the content. They have no intention maybe of of signing up. So it could just be that like, they just want to read the content. And that's if that's the case hey, put in an email opt-in in there so you can grab their attention and then you can educate them on your product via that email crash course. That's another great way to, to build your email your email list. It's a great point. Everything now is, is kind of funneling towards the free plan, mm-hmm. getting them towards the homepage and then, and then to signing, signing up. But there's no alternate route to just have people opt-in to, to get more information about you know, the topic. Yeah, I love that idea. Some products are just so good and the need and the niche that they're in is so strong that people just go to the homepage, click pricing, and sign up immediately, like without without thinking about it. Those products are few and far between. 
in reality, what happens is someone has a need and they're, maybe their boss told them to solve a particular problem or you know, they're, they're a consumer and they have something around the house that needs solving, something in their head that needs solving. So they go to Google, they search, and they come across like either your website in the search results or they come across some article someone wrote detailing the top five apps to do XYZ. And they click on that article and you're linked to from that article. So they, they become aware of you. So like, that's the first step, awareness. They know they have a problem and they know there is a potential solution to it. Most people at that point aren't going to click pricing and then add a card and, and register because they're still in that thinking stage. They're like, do I need this? Do I really, really need this? Do I need this to the point where I'm going to give up my email address? And then do I need this so desperately that I'm going to pull out my credit card and enter in the details to, to join? Those, those are very distinct steps and they often don't happen all at once. So you want to catch the user in what stage they're in. And typically, you know, probability states that they're going to be in that early stage where they know they have a problem. They see you can maybe solve it for them. So at that point, the goal is to get their email address so you can educate them more. And maybe part of the education is, is what I call just like the, uh, the anti-customer or weeding them out, you know. There are people that just won't be a good good fit for you. And maybe you have an email in your email crash course that says like, hey, if you're this type of person, don't sign up for my product. And that like reverse psychology actually does wonders for, for improving conversion rates. And it makes sure that only quality people are, are inside your product as well. Uh, so if you put like these email opt-ins on your blog post, man, I think, I think that would not only grow your email list, but also help you with your conversion rates. That's very interesting, the idea of the anti-customers, because I think I've, I've done a, a little bit of that on like the FAQ, but I haven't really figured out. I, I think I need to be louder about that mm-hmm. to make it really clear that like, this is kind of a complicated, like, you need to really be into this in order for this to be valuable for you. And I'm not signaling that enough. And I think that's a big reason I'm getting a lot of people in that don't ultimately, you know, are, are ultimately interested in the paid product. One of my favorite Black Friday campaign emails I ever ran was like it, it was the second to last email before the, the sale closed. And I, I told the story about a person who came to our, our site, they purchased our product, they went through it, and they literally went from being very, very poor in India to being a CTO of a company in India that had just closed on like $8 million in funding. They were so high paid that they were able to clear all of their family's debts and they had this like tremendously happy, successful life. And it was this beautiful, beautiful story. And at the end of the email, I just basically wrote another section that said, listen, I want people like this in my site, people who are willing to put in the effort. Like if you're not willing to put in the effort, like, yeah, maybe you'll get some value out of my products. But like, honestly, I don't want you. I want the people who come here who are willing to put in one and a half to two times the effort of the normal person. Because I know if they do that, they're going to get 10 to 20x return on the value of going through my product. So if you are that person, here is the link. But if you are not that person, please do not buy my products. And I, I stated that like very explicitly and like honestly more aggressively than I just said. That email converted really, really well because it drove home the point of like, this product is for serious people. If you are not serious, like unsubscribe. Please, like don't waste my time. That, that mindset can do wonders. I, I love that. There's definitely nothing like that in any of my any of my copy right now. But that 
leads me to one question I want to ask you about. When you're trying to figure out where to tune these different things, like, do you have benchmarks that you use? Because, you know, I feel like you could always say, well, well, higher is better. The conversion rates on these need to be higher or the conversion rate at this part of the phone needs to be higher. But I feel like you could be doing that, you know, with diminishing returns, not realizing that, like, actually, you're at a good spot for here and now you need to turn your attention. So for things like converting from a visitor into an email or from being on the email list to paid, like, do you work with some kind of benchmarks or anything like that that help you decide what to do next or where you're okay with, what needs help? Every business is is different. And like, you'll find articles that will say like, you know, if someone raises their hand and enters in their email address and joins your email list, then you should be converting like one to 4% of those people and the customers. Like you'll find generic advice like that online. My problem is like, you're, you're painting with too wide of a brush because every business is unique, has its own specialties and subtleties to it. And like that generic advice may or may not be applicable. So what I, what I like to do is like establish my own baseline of what are my current conversion rates of the funnel of like someone come from like a, a viewer to subscriber, subscriber and a customer. Like those are like your, your super like coarse like funnel stages, you know, like as coarse and broad as you could possibly get. But like establish, establish those so you have your own baseline of what something currently is inside of your business. Then you could start reverse engineering and thinking of like, well, this funnel here, it's leaky. Like I'm not getting enough people into my email list in the first place. Like there's, there's, too, there's too much of a gap between a viewer and a subscriber. How can I like increase that percentage, get more subscribers on my email list? So you think you brainstorm some ideas, you list them out, maybe you have 10 or 20 ideas, and you apply the 80-20 principle. Of like of these 20 ideas I just thought of, what are the ones that are, are going to have the highest return? But with, and I want to like underline this point, but that'll be like anti-fragile. That won't require me to spend weeks doing custom development or integrate with these APIs that may or may not work. Like, what are the things that I can test quickly that will have a high ROI if it does indeed work? And then I'll like implement one of those. I'll like, you know, gather some more data and I'll go back and measure like the conversion rate and be like, did my conversion rate increase? And that is by definition imperfect because maybe something else happened to your business. Maybe like some influencer tweeted about your business and like the report that they just got. And then like you had an influx of signups and it makes it seem like your, your visitor to subscriber conversion rate was higher than it actually was. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta think about that a little bit. But the hard part about being a business owner is you're constantly making hard decisions with extremely imperfect data. You're never going to have all the data to make the, the right decisions. So you just, you try and do the best as, best as you can and you rely on your gut as much as possible. To me, that is the important skill that any entrepreneur needs to learn how to do. Like the numbers are there. You can go find the numbers if you need them. They are important. But if you rely solely on the numbers, you're not going to be successful. It's almost like a, like a trader who only trades using charts of stock data. Like they're missing out on the larger picture by not like occasionally, not often, just like once a week, just read the news headlines to see like, hey, is the Fed about to raise interest rates? Well, guess what? If the Fed is about to raise interest rates, the stock market's probably going to drop a bit. So like that little bit of news, just that, that should trigger something in you that data alone that a chart could not possibly provide you with. Rely on your gut and apply the 80-20 principle. And I think that'll get you pretty far. Okay. 
I was hoping you'd have some magic numbers for me, but I'm... <laughs> no, there, there are no magic numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the, the game that I'm always trying to, to balance is, do I spend more time trying to increase these conversion rates? Or am I spending more time doing things to the product or writing more? Because that is ultimately what brings more people in and trying to balance between writing more to bring more people in and then also like fixing the leaks is is really just it's hard to know. But yeah, ultimately, I think I just end up going with my gut and seeing is it moving the numbers in the right direction or not. Right. And I think if you're if you're worried about writing more more articles to bring more people in, I think there's there's two things to consider there. One is like leverage. Is it you that has to write those articles? Is it possible for you to hire someone off like a freelancing site like Upwork or like Fiverr even such that they can write the articles so that you can focus on more business critical tasks? Or the other idea is to go look at your Google Analytics and say, hey, what are my top five performing pages? My top 10 performing pages in terms of like page views? Like, What percentage are those of my total traffic? Because it could be the case that those top pages are generating 95% of your traffic. In which case, adding new content, that's not really going to move the needle for you. On the flip side, like you may be looking at your, your conversion rates and you're like, man, like I'm converting 10% of my website visitors into subscribers. That's really awesome. Like I probably don't need to do much there. But then you go from like your subscriber to customer conversion rate and you're like, I'm converting 0.1% of these subscribers into customers. That's pretty low. Like maybe I should like focus on that a little bit. So again, it's, it's, it's about that delicate balance between numbers and your gut. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think to me, the ideal is I really do like the writing part of it. So even though I, part of me knows that like, I probably could hire somebody to do this. I mean, ideally, if I could get to the point where I could focus most of my energy on writing and following what what new interesting things are happening in you know, scientific research here and trying to, to write about that, that sounds really like a great place for me to be. And so mm-hmm. ultimately, I really want to get there and uh, just make sure that I am, I've got that sort of pipeline in a really good shape and in good state first before I, I start putting more energy into writing. Right. And I think that's totally natural. There's some part of the business that you truly love and truly enjoy now, I don't, from a psychological perspective, I don't think it makes sense to to fully remove yourself from it. There'll be tons of people online to say like, hey, like you're the owner, you're the, you're the CEO, like you can't be involved in like the, the minutia of, of the content creation. And to me, I'm like, eh, well, maybe. That's, that's a really large blanket statement and a generalization because it could be that you're an excellent content creator, but you're not the best marketer, in which case like, you hire someone to do the marketing for you, right? Like, you 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 decide like I'm gonna learn how to write copy, and then two weeks in, you're like, you know what? I hate this. <laughs> and so instead of forcing yourself to learn how to write copy, you you hire someone who's a, a better copywriter than you are. As a business owner, some of the best leverage you have is to say what tasks of this business are either below me that I could fire myself from, or that I hate so much that I'm willing to spend the money to get it off my plate. And if you could do that, well, to me, that's, that's the best of, best of both worlds. But with your content strategy, like you love creating content. That's awesome. I would just maybe brainstorm ways that you could combine that with improving your marketing. So maybe each blog post you write 
has like a, a dedicated, like a custom opt-in that you write that's meant to convert more subscribers. Or you do it like this relationship building thing where you're you're talking to influencers in this area or you're talking to researchers of these of these publications and you you write an article and you send it to them, be like, hey, like I just wrote this amazing article about this journal publication you just did. Would love to like help you further. And maybe if you like this article, you'd be willing to to share it around. Like you that way, like you're doing the more CEO level tasks of relationship building and marketing, but you also get to have fun within your own business. You could do the content creation too. Yeah, that second idea is that sounds great to me. I'd love to keep those connections. I think that's good for a lot of different reasons. So yeah, love that thought. Awesome. Well, I think that's a, a really good place to wrap it up, Greg. Like, thank you so much for being on the show. Like, I again, I want to call out just just how awesome it is that you were willing to come on the show and talk publicly about about your business, some of the things that that you're struggling with, because a lot of people they wouldn't they wouldn't be willing to do that. And I I hope like this episode's like starts to change people's minds and like they, they're able to relate to you because they'll be able to see like, hey, I have these problems too. I have these these struggles too. And like the more entrepreneurs talk about this, they just get worried about like, oh man, if I divulge too much, I'm gonna give up the secret sauce of, of running the business. But truth is like ideas are a dime a dozen. What actually matters is is the execution. So if more entrepreneurs start talking about their struggles and what's what's hard for them, I think I think it's so much the better. So like props to you, Greg, that this is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking to me. Uh, this is great. Awesome. Thanks again, Greg. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating in whatever podcast or app you use, whether it's Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.